I started seeing a psychologist um, in second grade. I mean, that, that's how young I was. And, and I even remember in like kindergarten and first grade just having really bad panic attacks, anxiety stuff. For whatever reason, I started getting very like cautious and paranoid about my looks and stuff, even in like second grade. I remember I used to like push my stomach in a lot for no reason. It was just, you know, one thing led to another. It started with anxiety and that became pretty overwhelming. So then I got stressed. And then the stress led to like the perfectionism and then the depression and really bad eating disorder later on in high school. But yeah, I started from a young age and I think I was just, by the time I started seeing someone for help, like talk, talk therapy and stuff in second grade, it had already been two or three years of pretty intense personal struggles. So I was almost used to being in pain or suffering. Like it felt weird if I wasn't. Hi, my name is Scott Schweitzer, and I am the Clydesdale CrossFitter. My friends Amy Radowski, Charlie Odie, and I, we love the sport of CrossFit. We are 40-plus Masters athletes who just love to watch the sport and want to let you know what's going on, all the way from the Open to the Sanctionals to the CrossFit Games. We also want to give you interviews with athletes human interest stories, and things that will help you in your daily grind uh, as a CrossFit athlete. We also want to share our own struggles through our workouts, our nutrition plans, all the way to getting healthy and fit uh, for our family and friends. If you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, and please consider giving us a five-star rating. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. Hey everyone, welcome to the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. My name is Scott Schweitzer and I am your host. Uh, I have with me the full crew tonight. Uh, we have Charlie Odie. What's going on, man? Yo, what's good? Got Amy Radowski. Hey. So how are things going, guys? We are on like, what, week 52 of the quarantine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm crushing the naps. <laughs> <laughs> I took I took two naps, two two hour naps this weekend. It was glorious. Well, when we left last week, Charlie wasn't able to attend due to um, the poop incident. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you? How are you managing past that? Um, well, it has not gotten any better. Um, <laughs> we have we have moved onto the walls, which we oh, haven't no. discussed before, but. We'll save that for another podcast, but yeah, so we're we're at least getting in arm's length of being able to clean up things. Again, I would just get a dog because it'd probably be cleaner. I mean, yeah. Uh, but the ceilings, but are, ceilings are clean? You're just working your way down? Well, apparently he is working his way down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the poop has not stopped. <laughs> if he can work it into the toilet. I'd be appreciative. <laughs> All right. So, Amy, how's yeah. it how's it going for you? Um, pretty good. Today, I was just kind of like lacking some motivation, but when it's like super gray, I that's hard for me. But, um, I, I mean, I I trained really hard this week, and today I just did some practice stuff, and then I'm actually going to go for a run with Murph after this recording, so that um. I can get outside for a little bit and he can get some energy out. So, um, other than that, I mean, pretty good training going well for the two of you. Yeah. 
I mean, we miss each other and we miss doing our 40 plus club, but absolutely. So it's not the same at all. I miss, I miss a pull up bar. So there's that, yeah. which stinks. And the only thing you're good at, you can't do. <laughs> you're just going to be having to do lots of push ups. Right. <laughs> I'm going to have a serious prison bot here in about a week. But I have kept up my Carrie Pierce power abs. So, yay. We'll see how that goes after this is week two. Oh, wow. And you said- I haven't seen any yet. So, <laughs> her and I are going to need to talk again from our, our last podcast. But now you said you were working on running. Is that still happening? See what had happened was <laughs> there was rain and then yeah. poop. There was a car outside and had skids. So then I don't know what happened after that. Oh, okay. So if I remember right, you had a really big PR this week, didn't Jamie? I did. I did. I had a 59 second PR on my DT. Whoa. Yeah. That's and like I was like a huge, huge. Yeah. And I hate overhead movements, but I, I did it and I like d- wouldn't look at the clock because I mess myself up when I look at the clock and I get anxious about it, as you guys both know. Yep. So um, I d- had a plan and I just completely stuck with my plan and then, you know, looked at the clock. I was like, oh, snap. Good. Good for you. Good job yeah. by you. Thank you. Well, I, uh, it's funny you mentioned that I I've done a few untimed workouts this week. Yeah. Just, and, and I, maybe it's just an optical illusion, but if I feel like I'm moving faster, yeah, like I'm not staring at the clock going, Oh gosh, it's just going by, Yeah, you know, and I, I'm just moving, um, and really kind of pushing myself and it. It's kind of a weird effect, but, um, it's it's been a good week. Uh, I'm I'm still struggling with trying to put together like longer workouts in my garage. Yeah, uh, that seems to be the hard thing. I I'll put I'd rather do two or three small ones <laughs> than mm-hmm. one big one. Well, maybe if you'd move that smoker over, as you said, you'd be able to breathe a little better. Yeah, that was a little rough. I, um, (laughs) the, the, the thought process was pretty cool. I was doing my meal prep and my workout at the same time, but yeah, the Mm -hmm. rower was really close to the uh, chimney of the smoker (laughs) and man, I had, I was hacking up pork fat grease and juice or whatever. Um, but yeah, crazy. Uh, but, but it was fun. It was a beautiful day just to kind of I would do a workout. I'd sit in the garage a little bit, drink, drink some, uh, rehydration and then do another workout and sit in the garage and drink a little more rehydration, do another little workout. So, uh, it, it was a night, nice, it was a nice day doing that. So really excited about that. Nice. Could you guys hear Murph barking right there? Uh, a little nope. bit. Well, let me tell you about that real quick because see, we have the situation where he, even though it's Easter, he does not like rabbits. And mm. there is a rabbit underneath the deck that lives there. And he will obsessively stand on top and bark and it doesn't move. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so um, sorry about that. Anyway. Oh, no, 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 that's fine. Mur- Murph's as much a part of this podcast as anybody. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so, I'll allow him over the other three of these. 
hooligans. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, you know, it is Easter. You know, I want everybody to be able to get back to their family. Uh, so we're going to keep the beginning and ending of this podcast pretty short to this week. Um, so with that, we'll go over to our interview. Um, we actually interviewed uh, a gentleman out of Kansas City. And this week, it's going to be more of a human interest story. Um, and it's a story about a guy who, you know, on the surface looked like he had it all. Um, um, but behind the scenes was struggling pretty mightily and then, um, found some happiness through CrossFit and was succeeding at a very high level. Uh, and that was all taken away from him, um, abruptly, uh, due to a medical condition, which hospitalized him for the better part of two years. And we got to talk to him pretty much just five months out of that two year hospital stint. And the mindset of this, that this individual yeah. is pretty freaking amazing. Like, I mean, very, I mean, he has worked very hard, not, I mean, with everything like physically, um, to get to where he was with CrossFit mentally, emotionally, and then physically again with just fighting, um, these, these illnesses and, um, adversity that's happened to him. So it's a pretty amazing story. I think you guys are really going to like this. So we're going to go to that interview right now and we'll talk to you after we're done. Hey, Jack, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, Scott and Amy. Thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited and um, hope you guys are doing as well as me. Yeah, we're, we're doing great. It's a beautiful evening here in Columbus, Ohio, and you're in Kansas City, correct? Exactly right. Kansas City is 81 right now, which is so weird. Wow. It's going to be in the 40s tomorrow, so it's <laughs> pretty random. Yeah, we get that same thing. I, I uh, used to do some business in Kansas City. And uh, can't, I can't get enough of the burn ends. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's what everyone says. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for our listeners, we have with us Jack Cernet. And Jack has had quite a road um, in his life. And in that life, it includes some CrossFit. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that with him. And so let's start off with, um, so what were what was your childhood like like what did you do athletically and kind of growing up um stuff like that yeah yeah of course we can definitely start there uh i was born born and raised here in kansas city so i grew up uh you know where actually i, I live currently um and it was pretty much i did what all the other guy friends of mine did we just played any and every sport so during the school year up until high school so from like kindergarten to high school, I played four different, four to five different sports throughout the year. And then every summer, country clubs are really big out here. I'm not sure if Columbus or any other cities are into that kind of thing. But I, every summer, my mom would drop me off at like 6 a.m. at the country club. And I'd have swim team practice and then just play tennis the rest of the day until it gets dark. So that was, that was my summers as well. Um, Sports-wise specific, uh, pretty much everything besides ice hockey. For whatever reason, that's just not a huge thing out here. Uh, probably because I, I can't. There's no hockey team in Kansas City and stuff like that. But pretty much every sport besides that was uh, kind of my jam. And um, you know, I started on a traveling soccer team. Believe it or not, in first grade, it was a little, wow. <laughs> a little intense. Uh, I remember in first grade. I think our first out of town tournament was in Chicago. And I was a first grader, so it was just a little weird. I, I felt like a you know professional athlete at the time, you know what I mean? Um, 
and soccer actually developed into kind of my main sport, especially as I got older. Um, I started getting recruited and just got more attention through soccer, in a, not in like a selfish way, but just more opportunity to go to faraway schools or get some scholarship money. So that's actually what I kind of focused on once I got to high school. That's what I was going to ask. So that, so at what point did you have to focus solely on that, uh, being on a travel team and being that competitive? Right, right. Yeah, literally, uh, once I got to high school, you know, girls is a little bit different in soccer. Some uh, girls are recruited or signed scholarships when they're like in eighth grade or a freshman, which is really early, especially for the, some of the guys. I know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's um, a pretty big decision for, most, for a, a young uh, preteen or young teenager to make. Oh, I know. It's because cr- so much could happen in that time period. For most of the boys in soccer, um, it's your sophomore or junior year in high school, sometimes senior year, when you finally kind of commit or at least have na- it narrowed down to like two schools that definitely you will, you will end up going to one or the other. Um, so once I got to high school, you know, I did um, some Olympic development team, which is I was part of the Kansas team, and we would travel and do tournaments against, like, other states' top 11 players. And that and then the traveling soccer kind of made me get in front of college recruiters, and they basically said, like, look, you know, if you're going to play co- – and I knew a bunch of older guys who were already in Division One uh, college soccer. They just said, you know – we're not going to really give you scholarship money or pursue you if you're going to get injured playing multiple other sports. Because mm. it's a business at the end of the day, yeah. college sports. So that's kind of when I realized I had to just narrow it down, which is a bummer because I don't have – it's not really regret, but I definitely wish I would have played more high school sports, especially because I ended up not even playing in college. I just decided to retire after high school. And so – And that was a bummer. At, at playing at that high level and making that decision – where where you're traveling all the time as a high school student, did that have a lot of um, pressures on you, some stresses? Yeah, I mean, I was already stressing a ton through school. I was a very, I, I, I was, um, you know, developed that awesome trait called perfectionism. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people have at one point or another in their lives. And so I was already just emotionally drained every day from just having to get straight A's. And, I, I, you know, if I got a, be it was the end of the world which i never did but i basically like just mentally emotionally sabotage myself to get straight A's. so by the time i got around to sports after school and traveling on the weekends and stuff it just kind of doubled with the amount of stress and pressure especially being on a team the travel team i was on uh majority of the guys i think all but like two of us ended up playing college soccer so there was kind of like that pressure. Oh, you don't want to be the guy who doesn't get recruited to the school. You don't, you know, you don't want to be left out of kind of like what everyone's expecting you to do. So it was a combination of the school and the sports that really sparked the uh, the peak in my in my mental and emotional health struggle. Yeah, I was going to ask. So it sounds like you put a lot of internal um, pressure on yourself, or or just probably, you know, most likely unintentionally, it was just that you had this kind of um, internal pressure and high expectations for yourself, which I'm sure uh, led to a lot of anxiety when you couldn't meet some of those expectations. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I've, tried, I've, I've been thinking for so long, you know, what might have been the catalyst to me kind of behaving that way? And I can't think of any specific except for, I just remember in like preschool and kindergarten, I was always like I could kick the kickball the farthest, I could run the mile the quickest, and I was kind of known from such a young kid as like, oh, Jack's the athlete; he's yeah. supposed to be the best at every sport, and that kind of just, you know, 
turn into me trying to be perfect and, you know, having me win. And not like a cocky way, but I just had to do good at everything. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things, you know, it sounds like that you kind of adapted that sort of identity, you know, as a, as a young kid. And then um, I think that's one of those things that then can, you know, when you kind of um, pigeonhole yourself into that too, or you have those expectations. Again, like if you if you can't meet those expectations, then um, it can be definitely hard on on yourself. I I myself am a uh, was a child and and an adult that suffers with anxiety, um, in the same kind of thing. Like I would always put these sort of pressures on myself that I needed to succeed um, in order for people to find value in me, and. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, that just with, with my own personal growth and just work, um, you know, have come into a better place. So, um, yeah, I was just super interested in wanting to talk to you to hear about your story. So. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is I had, I didn't come from a broken home. You know, my family, my parents have been happily married for 30 years, I think now, something like that. And, you know, no abuse, no nothing as a kid. Uh, yeah, I didn't even have like pressure or competition from my siblings. I'm the middle child. My older brother wasn't really an athlete, so to speak. He was over and really the third thing. So there was nothing like that trying to keep up and, with him. And then my younger sister's four years younger. So that's a little different as well. I just, I think it did, like you said, it, it pretty much started at that young age where I kind of identified myself as like, okay, I need to be the best at everything. Now I'm known as the best at like, kickball or whatever. And I carried it into school and everyday life. Very uh, perfectionistic about everything. And it took me a long, took me 23 years to kind of snap out of that. I'm 25 now, yeah. but it took me a long time. And that definitely, to Scott's original question, carried over into soccer. It started feeling like a job, not like a fun, you know, I wasn't having fun with it anymore by the time I got to high school. So at any time during during that that era where you were putting this pressure on yourself, did you seek help in any way or were you just trying to manage it all on your own? Yeah, believe it or not, I started, so all the, you know, I started seeing a psychologist um, in second grade. I mean, that, that's how young I was. And and I even remember in like first grade, just having really bad panic attacks, anxiety stuff. For whatever reason, I started getting very like cautious and paranoid about my looks and stuff, even in like second grade. I remember I used to like push my stomach in a lot for no reason. It was just, you know, one thing led to another. It started with anxiety and that became pretty overwhelming. So then I got stressed and then the stress led to like the perfectionism and then the depression and really bad eating disorder later on in high school. But yeah, I started from a young age and I think I was just, by the time I started seeing someone for help, like talk talk therapy and stuff in second grade. It already been two three years of pretty intense personal struggles, so I was almost used to being in pain or suffering. Like it felt weird if I wasn't struggling with something. So I really kind of just self sabotaged to the yeah. point where that wasn't that didn't do anything good for me. I mean, it was great to have someone to talk to and stuff, but I was just getting worse year after year. So this the stuff I I got help from didn't necessarily take effect like it probably should have. Well, and it's it's so amazing, I think, that how much torture can be in one person's mind, you know, and even even at a young age. So I started having anxiety. I mean, I remember being five years old and being afraid to go to restaurants because I had this fear. And so um, it really can really control your, your life from a very young age and can be a, you know, kind of a lifelong, you know, I tell people that I, I've been managing my mental health or my anxiety my whole life. Um 
but I just think the more experienced and more like open that we are in sharing our stories is just really important for other people because there's so many other people who also sh- um, are suffering too. So I really 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I was, I developed a pretty good poker face from a young age where, you know, I was in, in school and at friends, I mean, no one knew I was struggling with stuff. Even really my parents didn't even, I mean, they, they knew I was like struggling with anxiety and stuff, but, um, I just got really good at putting on an act and that was even more draining and depressing trying to be someone I'm not, you know, cause I didn't want to seem as like, I didn't want any pity or, you know, didn't want to seem weak cause I was a athletic kid and, you know, I'm a male. So that ego kicks in, you know? And so that, that was the struggle for sure. So now you, you've dealt with that through high school and you said that soccer started to feel like a job. And is that why you gave it up and didn't pursue it in college? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that, and I, I developed some pretty, uh, you know, it seems like every year I had a pretty serious sports injury and, um, you know, I didn't, I just kind of got tired of putting so much effort into being the best athlete I can and then just kept having to get stopped in my tracks by pretty bad injuries. Um, you know, ever since a kid, I mean, I have black eyes, a lot of my little kid pictures, but even stuff like in eighth grade, I broke my left foot. And then three months later, after the healed, I broke it the very next day. Oh, so my, my eighth grade year in school, <laughs> I was on crutches for eight months, my eighth grade year. And that was pretty, that definitely had a negative impact on my eighth grade psyche because I wasn't able to play sports or, you know, I was on crutches for eight months. So that was, that was definitely probably not the most helpful thing for someone in eighth grade who had already been struggling with stress and anxiety and stuff like that. And then, you know, when I was a sophomore in high school, I had another bad injury. I had compartment syndrome in my right thigh. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about no. that injury. Uh-uh. So basically, I have a foot-long scar in my right thigh, and basically I just got really big collision in a soccer game. And later that day, my thigh swelled up, double the size of my left one, and it had to do to emergency fasciotomy. And that took a year to, re- to feel like I was 100%. And so that was like another, you know, like, oh, gosh, this sucks. <laughs> and uh, just multiple other things that we don't need to go into, too, you know, broken noses, concussions, you name it. But the, the weird thing is, if I had learned how to respond differently to all those physical adversities, I probably would, would have kept playing soccer. I just responded the same way, and I was just going through all of it instead of growing through it. And like I said, it took me 23 years to finally realize there's got to be a better way to like overcome adversity or anything that doesn't go the way I want it to. There's got to be a better way because it was just miserable trying to deal with all that stuff. So that's basically why I stopped soccer. And then I, you know, when I was a senior, I found a passion for lifting weights and I I discovered CrossFit in 2012. Well, just before that, I want to touch on you through all those injuries, through all that Mm -hmm emotional stress you ended up being all state soccer like top 11 in the state of kansas correct yeah i was uh yeah i was actually pretty successful in that even where i was i was first team all state my senior year uh my freshman year in high school i didn't play except for the last two weeks of the season and i was on the d team because i was still recovering from my broken foot so i didn't even try out the coach just kind of during the bone and said, hey, you can get some reps in with the, with the you know, the fourth team, basically. And that was a, that was an interesting experience. And my sophomore year, I came back. But then 
when I was a junior, I was, uh, you know, varsity captain as well as a, as a junior and senior. And I, I got down and as a junior, 120 pounds. I'm 6'5", and I was as a junior. Whoa. So that was my junior year was the peak of my mental health struggles. And then I developed kind of body dysmorphia and eating disorder. So when I was out there looking, you know, sick, I was so skinny, and I was still competing at a pretty high level with some of those kids. Um, I even dropped out of high school my junior year for the last three months. And that didn't drop out, but I just had to leave, and I went to a recovery facility in Wisconsin that specialized in, like, mental health and eating disorders, and that completely saved my life. But all the while, yeah, I was a pretty pretty successful athlete. It, it came somewhat easy to me, which was why I enjoyed it, you know, so much. I. I'm just taken aback, you know, what you went through and how successful you were. I mean, that's, that's just crazy to me. Um, but man, kudos to you for, for persevering through that and getting the help you needed. So hey, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of help. <laughs> it wasn't all me. <laughs> so how, how was your, though, your kind of social relationships during all that time? Did you have a support system like with your, your soccer team or your other athletic teams, or did you have like a close group of friends or was that kind of, um, because you were struggling so much internally, not as much of a support system? Yeah, I did have so many friends up until my sophomore, junior year in high school. I had great guy friends and girlfriends. And I talked with my family a bunch and then I pretty much just isolated a ton my sophomore, junior year. Uh, I mean, I, I, it was so draining to me to go to school in the, all day and mm -hmm. pretend like nothing's wrong. Yeah. And then I had to come home and just basically cry in my closet because yep. it was just so draining being an actor, you know? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I mean, e even my friends, my senior year said, like, yeah, you hardly spoke yeah. at all, like, during the day even. And, you know, I was not, I was a, not even a fourth of a, a version of who I am today. I mean, it was just, it was such an obvious change to people around me that that probably must have scared them a lot but definitely i isolated wasn't very social and it was almost it was all by choice yeah and i think it's really important to add so that if other people are listening to this too who might be struggling i think um that so often anxiety and depression go hand in hand that it usually might start with somebody um, who's anxious. And then I think kind of that spiral of being anxious and anxious, then that leads into the spiral of depression because why am I so anxious? I can't stop being anxious. And it's kind of this just spiral going back and forth between those two. And when I, when I think about you, Jack, with, um, and I don't know if you know about my background, but I am a preschool teacher and I have a degree in early childhood development and education. And I look at you with describing all of your um, injuries and your bouts, even starting in second grade, that you were approaching all of those without a fully developed brain. So you didn't have all the emotional development of an adult that could go through and maybe have some of those tools and coping skills to handle some of those stressors as an adult would, but you had, you know, a, we'll say immature brain because it wasn't fully developed. And so, 100%, yep. you know, I think that just, um, yeah, that's, that's just a really hard thing. Yeah. And I think, I'm not sure the exact stat on this or the science behind it, but there's a certain, you know, for a certain amount of years in the beginning of your life, the part of your brain that like creates memories and stuff doesn't really fully develop. So I think that might be part of the reason why I don't necessarily remember like a specific moment that really caused me to kind of start going down that path of kind of mental turmoil. It wasn't 
there was nothing obvious and glaring, which for a while that was a struggle for me to deal with because I felt like, oh, it's really all my fault, you know? Yeah, yeah. Why is this happening to me? Yeah. So let's, yeah, it's, and it's go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, so let's let's move into college a little bit. You decided to to go to college, basically clear across the country to California in the in beautiful San Diego. And why why did yep. you make that choice? Well, I, you know, for for many years, even a couple years after I got out of the high school, I had a hard time even driving by my high school. <laughs> I just got anxiety thinking about it. Um, and so that was part of the reason why I wanted to get super as far away as possible. Also, you know, where I grew up, it's kind of like a bubble, especially when you're not even older than 18, in the same kind of area all the time. And it just felt, there was a part of me that's like, you know what, I've gone through so much. I, it just felt too safe, and also I didn't really like cold weather. So all those reasons kind of culminated in me thinking, let's see, where is the farthest away college I can go to in the United States that has the best weather and that's a little dangerous? And San Diego State ended up being, ended up being that college, and um, you know it's pretty tough to beat San Diego. And and so what did you what did you study there? Yeah, so I went in. I think I went in the same exact ways a lot of freshman going to college i had no clue what i wanted to do i i didn't i just pretended like i knew i went in as a pre-physical therapy degree i should have gone in undeclared and uh, you know i went in and i was actually accepted to the honors program there too so um you know i went in taking classes and i started with that i actually changed my major twice um eventually ending up on uh kind of a health coach type of major so it's uh an emphasis on like fitness nutrition combined. Um, but I really was just kind of pretending like I knew what I wanted to do. I, I had no idea. I just figured, Oh, everyone else in my high school went to college. So I'm going to do the same thing. And so you, you did athletics from a very young age all the way to a senior in high school. How did you fill that void? I filled that void by actually part, part of what I really found a liking for was after my soccer season in high school ended my my senior year which was in the fall during the spring i was i'm such a competitive guy and i like pushing myself and i like challenges probably because of just a bunch of the challenges i grew up with and i kind of just developed a habit for wanting to have to work for something uh i found crossfit and weightlifting and i it became such a peaceful escape for me um unlike any other sport i ever tried or practiced or anything like that so I actually started going to a CrossFit gym in Kansas City the spring, so the end of my senior year in high school, and then just transitioned right into that. The second I got out to San Diego, I started going to a CrossFit gym out there from the get-go, and that was awesome because there was always something I could get better at, and it was competitive to the point where I was trying to win the workouts and classes, and then I ended up eventually doing you know, a bunch of competitions and stuff. So that was the void that, that was filled there. And I think in our pre-interview, you told me that the first CrossFit gym you went to in San Diego was a very small, um, but really cool place that you found. Yeah, very it was a tiny little CrossFit box, but awesome humans, awesome people. It wasn't, there was no like, quote unquote, high level CrossFitters. There's a lot of just everyday people who have no you know, goal of trying to do a competition or anything. They just want to move and stay healthy. And that was great for me, especially just to learn all the basics, you know. Um, and they had to tell me to leave pretty much. I was in there so much trying to get better, but that was a great 
start for me, not going right into like a gym with a bunch of studs mm-hmm. and get intimidated almost, you know? So that was, that was a perfect start for me out in San Diego. That's funny because where Amy and I kind of started is, was really tiny as well. Um, we've kind of grown with the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in our fourth location, awesome. um, fourth location now over what, 10 years. Yeah. Um, and we started just in the back of a volleyball center in a small little area and, and now a massive, huge thousand square feet, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's huge. So, at some, so po- cool. at some point you decided that, that you needed some competition to push you. And so you, yeah, exactly you went to right. a world famous CrossFit gym. Say it again. And you went to a world famous CrossFit gym then. That's correct. Yeah, actually, about a year and a half into being in San Diego. So, gosh, that was 2014 is when I started uh, training at CrossFit Invictus out in San Diego. Um, and that was coincidentally also when they opened up. They only had one location at the time when I first got there. They just opened up a second location, which is small. And then within a year, they actually opened up a gigantic location in another part of San Diego in SoCal. So, that was a good timing for me because there's just the availability of equipment and coaching and the number of members they have there. I, I just grew so much in the sport and I decided to start going there mainly because I was, you know, I graduated high school weighing 185 pounds. And then by the time I got to Invictus, I was like 225 or 230. And I just, from working out and eating, I, I just got big, bigger and stronger. And, and I, did a couple competitions before I joined Invictus and they went pretty darn well. So I was like, gosh, I just want to keep challenging myself. So that's why I started there in 2014. And that was the year they actually won the CrossFit Games as a team. So that was a pretty exciting year to kind of be part of that community. And you, you worked out with Garrett Fisher, right? And Rasmus Anderson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So by the time 2015 and 2016, one of those two years is when I, they opened up their new location in downtown San Diego, and it, it was gigantic. There was two different parts, two kind of different parts of the gym, and one half of the gym was, it was bigger than most crossfit boxes, but it was kind of only for, like, the competitive classes and the regional and games athletes. Um, and that's when I started doing that, that kind of, those training sessions with those guys. And even the people who weren't, regional athletes and games athletes and i can name a few that i used to share the barbell with but even the guys in there who weren't in the, in the, in the females the males they're just great athletes i mean unbelievable fitness and crossfitters even the people who weren't you know recognizing the sport so that helped me a ton but yeah i used to so by the time i started doing that i was one of the bigger and stronger guys gymnastics wasn't my, my thing my best aspect just because of Maybe I'm six five, and I got up to two fifty five as my heaviest. Um, and so I was sharing. A lot of times they'd have us just share a barbell during the kind of the lifting sessions, and some really awesome people to share a barbell with, like Rasmus Anderson, Garrett Fisher, um, a couple other regional athletes that I don't know. I can't really remember the names. And then people would drop in. I mean, this is still when Josh Bridges would drop in from time to time. Um, you name it, people from all over. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's still there? Oh. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I was really fortunate as a, in 2015 and 16, you know, I was 20, 21 years old, and I was 
you know, doing the classes, not the classes, but I was doing the training sessions and lifting, uh, you know, during the weightlifting sessions with like Brian Miller at the time. He was just a monster. He was a part of their games winning team. Um, he was also an individual CrossFit Games athlete in 2013. And he was, he, he is still, he's just a beast. And then Rasmus Anderson was also kind of at the same strength abilities, in fact, stronger in some things. So he and I were sharing a barbell. And then Fisher would come in every once in a while. He would do a lot of individual stuff on his own. But he, he was one of the guys who just loved throwing a barbell around. So he'd hop in a lot during the kind of the lifting sessions. And a lot of those training sessions started off with just brutal weightlifting programming. I mean, <laughs> You know, just so draining. And then we'd hop into the gymnastics and then a ton of different kind of Metcons or 30-minute AMRAPs. So it was, a, it was a pretty pretty intense training schedule. But, uh, yeah, Garrett and those guys would love to hop in during the weightlifting part of it. So I have a fun question just to just because I'm curious. Go for it. You were there. Did you ever get to meet Rick Ross? Rick Ross? Yeah. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Rossfit? Yeah, no. Rossfit. Yeah, I didn't, um, and I honestly didn't really even ask Garrett about that. It was such a business-like atmosphere in these training sessions that there wasn't, during it, it wasn't like, you know, in between lifts or whatever. It's not like it was the appropriate time for me to right. be like, hey, Garrett, so, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, so I, I didn't, but, yeah, I mean, that that, <laughs> that would have been really cool. I mean, there was, there was some crops that would stop by, though, throughout the year and so um, Matt Frazier would come in once or twice a year. Uh, Brooke Wells would be there a ton. Um, pretty much anyone, you know, that, yeah. I don't know. I can't remember all the names, but it was just amazing. I'd walk in and start warming up and I'd be like, oh my gosh, there's 20 CrossFit Games individual athletes right there. So it was, yeah. it was well, an instant experience for a young guy like me, too. And I have to say, we're pretty spoiled here living in Columbus, Ohio, and living right near Rogue, because even at their last um, yep. at last building, like they would just um, like host the team workouts, and we could go in there and see Rich and Julie and Sam and all them throwing down. So it's been cool just to live close to there and be able to pop over, so... And one of the actually that that's awesome. First of all, and I actually started working for Kilquist when I was at Invictus, and I just kind of got even more opportunities to hang out with all their Kilquist sponsored CrossFit athletes. I would basically drive the Kilquist deep around with all these athletes in the back, Sam Dancer and all these oh, awesome guys. Sam Dancer is a, a hoot. He's so fun to fun to be around. But um, you know, and a lot of Navy SEALs in the area would come and like treat these sponsored kill cliff athletes to like a skydiving or shooting range. And I basically just be there chilling with them watching. I didn't do any of the activities cause it wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't a sponsored athlete, but that was also a great opportunity that kind of came from just being around some pretty well-known names at the gym. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I wanted to talk about another aspect. You, you graduate high school at 185 pounds. <laughs> you call yourself yep. tall and skinny. And what, what was your snatch and clean and jerk weight when you were working out at Invictus? Yeah, my, um, well, yeah, I was, a, I was a tall, twiggy drink of water throughout all of high school. I could barely even bench press 135 pounds in high school. Um, and it was just a complete body transformation, mainly because I just started eating a ton, like enough, you know, lifting weights. And I got up my biggest, my biggest and best lifts, like kind of all the lifts that people would know. Um, I ended up 
snatching in 2017, 305. Um, cleaning routine, 375. Uh, power cleaning, 365. Um, I had a really bad hip injury that I had to get surgery for. So for the longest time in preparation for that, I just did all power movements. So I got really good at power cleaning. Uh, bench press was 365. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to deadlift was, I don't remember the exact number, over 600 pounds, uh, for reps. Uh, squatting was 490. I didn't quite get to 500, which is a bummer. But part of that was just the quality of training and the people I was training with and the consistency. I mean, I, that was my life for four years. And that was also in the peak of my competitive days, just doing as many competitions as I could. And I was, uh, you know, it might sound like huge, a huge, gigantic, like person, six five, two fifty five, but I didn't really look it because I'm tall. It was, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like a bunch of fat on my body. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, it, I definitely didn't look like the t- stereotypical crosser. A lot of these competitions, standing next to the guys in the starting line, it was almost funny looking how much bigger I was than some of them. Um, but that was my favorite. Just throwing some weight around, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So. Um, so, and that that was that was awesome. So I want to wrap the Invictus stuff up with one more little thing. You Go actually for worked for Invictus, correct? I did. Yeah, I was uh, one of their front desk managers, and I helped kind of. Uh, I was I I wasn't called like the salesperson for them, but anyone coming in, and there was always tons of people coming in to get information to join. It's basically, my job to sell them on why to join the gym, which wasn't that hard for a lot of people because it's just the name behind it. But uh, that was my job for, I worked there for a little over a year. And so you worked for CJ Martin. I did. And he was, he was around, he and his kind of, other people might call him this, but Tino Santino Marini does a lot of the programming as well. He's kind of CJ's right-hand man. Um, He is in every competitive training session. He coaches pretty much every Invictus Cross the games athlete. He's like their one-on-one coach, and so the two of them were in the training sessions a lot, getting coaching us and just talking with us. And then, yes, I did work for CJ as well um, as part of his staff. Well, cool. So you had you had a really cool experience at Invictus, and that's that's pretty awesome. And I think you, told, yeah, I mean that was great. You you told me you had gotten to a point where you were beginning to qualify for some pretty major events. You were winning some local competitions. Um, and then you suffered a few more injuries. Yeah, so I was, gosh, I think 2016 or 2017, I was on, Invictus started in 2016, 2017, they started having multiple teams qualify for regionals through the Open. And I was on the roster for the second team, so I wasn't at the games level yet, you know, the team that basically would win every competition. Um and then individual competitions, I mean, out in California, there's so many different CrossFit gyms. So there's pretty much a competition every weekend if you wanted to do it, which was a little much. But, yeah, I was really seeing some success and benefit there, and I absolutely loved it. Um, and then I did, I, I got, uh, I tore my labrum in my left hip, and I got a small uh, stretch fracture on my femur as well from just training on it, kind of being stubborn and telling myself to suck it up. Uh, and then I actually... My last major injury before everything came to a halt was uh, I, I blew out everything in my shoulder, biceps, tendon, labrum, rotator cuffs. I had Popeye arm because my tendon came off the bone. Oh. So that was an interesting time where, you know, you go from the day before I was, you know, snatching 305. The next thing I know, I'm getting surgery in a sling. 
That that made me throw up in my mouth yeah. a little. I, I gotta say. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, just have a weak stomach when it comes to medical stuff. So okay. you kind of mentioned <laughs> you kind of mentioned that um, everything eventually comes to a halt, and so it was your Correct. it was your birthday. That 2017. You, so 2000, I turned 23. And something happened that day. Do you want to walk us? Yeah, through that? this was. Go ahead. I just said, do you want to walk us through that? Yeah, I can kind of, from that point, so September 20th, 2017, up until, even now I'm still dealing with some stuff, but up until pretty much January of this year, I struggled immensely with, so I was was, uh, diagnosed with stage three chronic kidney disease. My bladder wasn't working anymore. My ureters weren't working. My kidneys were I was developing chronic infections. So for 2018 and 2019, I was in the hospital. In 2018, I was in the hospital over 300 days that year, and I had uh, nine surgeries that year. And then in 2019, I was in the hospital over 250 days, and I actually had my two biggest surgeries. Um, one, my last one I got in 2019 was a reconstructive surgery, and it was a 12-and-a-half-hour surgery. So that was an interesting experience, but... You know, I had no prior kidney problems or any health problems besides just sports injuries. But that was the start of such an amazing learning experience for me because by the time I was 23, I still was dealing with life in the same kind of not successful way when it came to adversity and stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, everything was just dropped. I mean, I was in the hospital on the night of my birthday. I was in there for two weeks, and then, from that day forward, every 12 days or less, I was back in the hospital with a kidney infection, sepsis, or surgery. Jeez. Wow. So I think when we talked, you and, said about, about six months in to, to that repetition of going to the hospital, you, you developed really bad sepsis, and then it was, it, there was a transformational correct. moment there. Yeah, yeah. I was – I still – so the first six months was I handled it terribly, admittedly. You know, I was just stressing and worrying about things that are 100% outside of my control. It was causing me to kind of creep back into some depression. You know, I had already lost six months in about 40 pounds just from all of the surgeries and sitting in the hospital and just melting away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, I six months about six months in, I developed, uh, I started with a kidney infection, but I just was stubborn and decided not to go to the hospital right away. And then I actually developed into sepsis, an expected shock. Um, and, you know, when, when I get to the, when I got to the ER that day, they immediately took me to the ICU because my symptoms were so um, severe. Uh, fever wouldn't stop. The pain was ridiculous. Uh, my blood... Um, you know, sepsis and infection of the blood. So my blood was a mess. My heart valves are starting to kind of show uh, abnormal signs because what sepsis does is it starts in your blood, and if it doesn't get treated, it starts to affect your internal, all your other organs. So that was a scary moment. You know, when I walked into the, when I got into the ICU, when your nurses and doctors have just, they look like they're scared. They look like someone scared them. Mm-hmm. That I, I mean, I wasn't dumb. I had a feeling like this is not good, <laughs> you know. And the doctor was really great, though. Right away, he said this is either going to go really good, really quick, or it's going to get bad really quick. And I can't remember what time of the day I got into the ICU, but um, 
I was in there for six days until things finally settled down and slowly they started to get better. But, you know, they didn't tell me directly you're going to die because sepsis, sepsis and septic shock kills more people per year than breast cancer. Um, it's pretty, pretty uh, sketchy thing to have. Um, and when, when, they, when things were getting better and the nurses, I could just tell by body language, I started to kind of panic. Um, they're throwing ice bags all over me. It kind of just, when I got through that, you know, when you flirt with the Reaper and kind of think, gosh, this, it's done, it's over, you know? After that moment, everything that wasn't almost dying seemed like a piece of cake, like totally juvenile, even stress over. So that was one of the worst and best moments of my life was coming out of that, my perspective was just permanently changed. And that, that was the craziest thing. And, and that was also the best thing that could have happened to me because that was just the beginning. You know, I had septic shock a couple more times later on. And, uh, you know, that was six months in into a two-and-a-half-year battle. So that, that was, for whatever reason, my brain just kind of snapped into that. And I started to kind of realize, you know, what's in my control and what's outside of my control. Stress and all this other stuff is not going to help. It's going to hurt. Uh, and, and I also had the thoughts of the second time I got septic shock, I was thinking to myself, okay, if this is my last hour alive, do I want to live joyfully or die miserably and be crying? And I just made the conscious decision, like, you know, why, if, you know, why not just enjoy it if it's actually my last hour, you know? Um, and that was the game changer. That, that six months in, that first septic shock was just a blessing in disguise. So were you in California when this happened, or were you back in Kansas City? Yeah, I was in, I, I, I lived in San Diego up until uh, January 2019. Okay. So I was out there in 2013, and then it started in 2017, all the, all the chronic kidney disease and chronic illness stuff. Uh, and that was interesting, too, because right back into isolation, my best friends were the nurses. You know, my, my family's all in Kansas City. I had no one out there. Yeah. I had friends who visited me in the hospital, but it was like 30 minutes, you know, so... I had a lot of time with my thoughts, yeah. uh, especially because a lot of the meds they gave me caused my vision to get really blurry to the point where I couldn't even text. And so, uh, you know, I challenge anyone to just sit and do nothing, just stare at a wall for 30 minutes. Most people get very uncomfortable, yeah. you know, just sitting by themselves with no noise, no nothing. And I got so used to that that I can just, I just enjoy, started to enjoy it. But, yeah, that was that was an interesting experience going through all that pretty much alone. So let's let's turn the page to, to where you are now. Um, you've been Correct. out of the hospital yeah. since January. And you've taken what you've learned during this big traumatic event and turned it into basically a new career for yourself, right? 100%. Yeah, I didn't major in, you know, communications or public speaking or psychology or coaching or anything like that. But I just... I found such a new perspective and literally from 2000, from that six months, six months into that. So in sometime in 2018 until now, I've never been more stress-free, peaceful, joyful, zero depression, zero anxiety. It's pretty insane. I'm a completely different person. And so that kind of sparked into me starting a speaking career. Um, I started off, speaking to different high schools and middle schools, and I got some conference keynote speeches as an opportunity. Um, and then I started getting hit up on, you know, either text or social media. Just to, People were kind of asking me just for advice or just even just a simple question like, hey, you know, 
you went through this, I'm going through something similar. What do you suggest? And, and that kind of turned into a coaching aspect as well, which, which has been amazing. Um, and yeah, if you were to ask me in 2017, I'd be doing what I'm doing now for a career speaking and coaching. I, w- I would have laughed. I wouldn't have ever guessed it. And I find it so interesting that you say, I mean, so powerful that you say, you know, the most peace and joy you ever had was probably during the most actual stressful time in your entire life. Um, and, oh, yeah. and the fact that, you know, that you've taken that and, you know, you said you don't have a degree in that, but uh, in public speaking and nothing against people with a communications degree, but I think it just goes to show that when you have a story to tell and you have passion behind that story, that people want to hear that. Um, and that people benefit from that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, I just started to simplify things because for most of my life up until that point, I was trying to do 20 different coping mechanisms and I was getting advice from 50 different people and they were all different pieces of advice. And it was just so overwhelming trying to, to turn my life around mentally and emotionally. And, um, I started really simplifying stuff. That's how my brain works the best. And, I also disassociated my attitude with my physical suffering because just because you get an injury or that you're having a really intense surgery doesn't mean, you know, not once the doctor tell me now you have to be sad and depressed. They were only talking about my body, you know? Um, and that was a game changer as well. And like I always tell people, you know, suffering is completely optional. You know, pain is going to be there, adversity is going to be there, but um, I'm proof. I'm not some amazing superhero. You know, I was the exact opposite for 23 years. And, uh, you know, life isn't what happens to you. It's simply just how you respond. And so you are not slinging around heavy snatches or heavy clean and jerks, but you're back to CrossFitting, right? Yeah, definitely. I'm not taking any classes still. Well, especially now because classes aren't happening with the, with the <laughs> current, you know, physical and social distancing. But I, I developed so many big – after I – was able to stay out of the hospital. I had so many gigantic scars in my abdomen, in my back, my waistline and stuff that my chance of hernias was very high. So I still haven't even done like a class, but I've been doing a lot of training on my own. And with one of my buddies, who's a, who's a personal trainer and a CrossFit athlete himself. So yeah, I'm back in it. I mean, I'm snatching stuff and, and clean joking and doing everything I did before. Just I'm not nearly as strong or in the best shape. Uh, compared to what I was in 2017 before kind of the chronic illness struck. So I'm, I'm there, you know, I, I, I just snatched two days ago, I snatched 245, but compared to 305, and that felt like a 500 pounds, you know, so we're getting there, making progress. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I, I have and, never snatched 245 in my life, so um, that is really <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, progress equals happiness, and that's just kind of what I'm trying to do every day, just progressing something, whether it's with the, the physical fitness and the CrossFit, which is so nice to have back because I didn't work out for over two years and step foot in the gym. Um, so, yeah, that's it's, it's such a blessing to have that back, that's for sure. Well, I just want to end it with you being able to tell our listeners that you also have a podcast. Uh, and what's the, I do, name, yeah. what's the name of that podcast so you can let people find you? Yeah, I'm the co-host of a podcast called the Triad Health Podcast with a good buddy of mine, Taylor Smith. And we actually are fairly new into it. I think we just, yeah, we just recorded on Monday our 15th episode with a, with a guest as well. Um, so I mean, we're super new to it, but 
Uh, he's got a big background in fitness and nutrition, and I have a little bit of knowledge in that, obviously, but mainly the mental health and the emotional health aspects. So together, it kind of creates, in our opinion, a triad of health, your fitness, nutrition, and, and emotional and mental health. So that's kind of what our podcast caters towards. And we're just getting started. We're trying to, you know. And you're available have where? Have as many people as possible. What's that? And you're available where? I'm available through, uh, so I have a website, just www.jackcernet.com. You can find all of my speaking and coaching information on there. There's some videos and some other stuff that, that people might like to see. And then through social media on Instagram, I'm at I am Jack Cernet. I am Jack Cernet. And then Facebook and you better spell that um, TikTok is just my name, Jack Cernet. How do you spell your last name? S-E-R-N-E-T-T. Okay. Well, Jack, we want to thank you so much for taking some time with us tonight. Uh, that is such an inspirational story, and I'm so glad you shared that with our listeners. Yes, thank you so much. I, that's, I think that's going to help a lot of people, and I, I know that's one of your goals, so I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Yeah, no, you guys don't have to thank me. I need to thank you. You guys are doing some great things, and anytime someone wants to hear me talk i'm so grateful and yeah i mean i hope people can just kind of realize like you know uh there's everyone struggling with something and if my you know not superhero you know person if if i can do it then anyone can do it because i was an absolute mess for most of my life and now it's the exact opposite so it's literally possible for anyone to literally just have joy and peace every day it's just a simple decision and then act accordingly well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll let you go, and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. I really appreciate it, guys. All right. Bye. That was an amazing interview with Jack, and um, I hope you guys really uh, enjoyed that. I know um, it was fun to see Amy and her element um, and being able to talk about some of the issues that Jack went through, and big shout-out to Amy. You know, it's cool seeing you – just do what you do best, uh, and you did great during that interview. Well, thank you. So with that being said, well, there's another kind of medical issue we'd like to address, uh, and that was announced earlier this week where Chris Spieler, the legend, um, announced that he had contracted uh, COVID-19. Um, pretty pretty scary story um, because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think I'm a healthy individual. If I get it, it won't be that bad and we'll just move on. Um, And, and Chris really kind of dispelled those, those rumors and myths because if anybody's fit, Chris Spieler's fit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his whole family got it. Yeah. He immediately self quarantined. um, Mm -hmm. And, in the basement of his house away from his family, but they still got it. Yeah. And all four of them suffered different symptoms. So it's very different for every person. Uh, It was really cool to kind of hear that from him. And he also had a few friends that contracted it. And some of them actually ended up on a respirator. Yeah. uh, To that degree. So that was pretty crazy. Um, but and it made sense. Like, I mean, I hadn't thought about it, but you know, where he lives, it's a, it's, there's, it's a pretty high tourist area. Um, and a lot of people, you know, dropping in at his gym as well. So, um, you know, definitely just some more risk there. Yeah. 
So shout out to Chris. Um, he's doing well now. He's on the, he's on the road to recovery. His family is as well. Um, in addition to uh, the friends of the family, they're, they're all kind of on the, on the route, on the road to recovery. Yeah. I talk sometimes for a living. <laughs> um, so shout out to him. And, and kind of what the ironic thing is, is we've actually been talking to Chris about coming on the podcast and um, he kept telling me that there were things coming up that he couldn't come on, uh, but he never told me the reason. And, you know, I, I understand that, uh, but it's just been wild that I've been talking to him this whole time. Uh, and yeah. this is what he's been going through. Right. So yeah. hopefully he's better and we can have him on soon. Um, I know he's probably going to be requested a lot on podcasts now that yeah. he has come out. Um, but hopefully we can have him on soon and he can kind of run, walk through that with us. Awesome. So now we're to my favorite part of the week. Best thing you saw on the internet. So who Ooh. wants to go first? Okay, I'll go. I'll go first. Okay. So I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's been cute, but just because of the way that our world is right now and things are different, you know, I have a lot of friends who have um, kids that are seniors and are going to be, graduating at least here i know that our district has like postponed uh graduation to july um just so that there can hopefully still be a ceremony which i think is awesome but when i just think about the seniors this year they're missing out on so much you know like the sports for their spring season and prom and um you know possibly graduation so some of those last memories so, you know, I've, a lot of things I've seen on the internet have been everybody else kind of throwing out their senior photos. So that's what I was doing right before we recorded this was go search. Um, and for the listeners who may not know this, that um, my husband and I met in high school. We've never dated in high school, but we graduated. We graduated together the same year. So I was just going through all of our old um, photos to find senior photos. So I have found mine and you might be surprised to know that I um, pretty much look exactly the same. So I thought it might be fun if we posted them on our uh, our Facebook Clydesdale CrossFitter page. So that's that's what I would like to propose to both of you two. Well, I can I can do that. It will be a much less version of a Clydesdale than I am yeah. today. That is swimmer, swimmer Scott. Ooh, swimmer Scott. Let's we all want to see it. So yeah, yeah, I can do that. Okay, yeah, and I'm Charlie. Sure, I'm sure I'm sure mine are somewhere in the bowels of my mother's home. So Yeah, you call up Gigi. I bet Gigi got them. Probably look pretty much the same as well. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> Maybe no facial hair, but everything else is the same. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Cool. So, Charlie, you got something from the week? Uh, I think what I've seen a lot of is, and we've talked about it before, is this, this TikTok phenomenon that's happening here. Um, you know, Amy and I have discussed 40 Plus Club doing a couple TikToks here, but obviously we can't be in the same place. But um, now you're seeing all the celebrities doing it and all the CrossFit athletes doing it. And it's just amazing how quickly something. You wish you would have bought stock in TikTok at this point because it's. I mean, I've been trying to tell you guys how awesome. <laughs> <I'm>. <laughs> well, they just needed just needed a, a 
pandemic virus to hit. (laughs) (laughs) Which is weird. If you want to talk about conspiracies. Yeah. It's it's a China-based company, and this started in China. I'm just saying. Where was Zoom started? That's another good point. Good point. Probably China. Because yeah, that's yeah. that's the stock I wish I would have gotten into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Twenty-seven Zoom meetings a day. Right. Which is kind of a nice little segue for us because you know this is going to be our last audio-only version of the podcast uh, because we are going to move to Zoom uh, to interview our guests and we're going to expand out to YouTube. Mm-hmm. So we, we will have a YouTube page, the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends podcast, and we will be posting our podcasts out there. And I'm actually right now working on converting some of our old audio versions with some pictures uh, to put out to that YouTube channel as well. So would you say our first Zoom YouTube podcast is going to have some some be something for for everyone to look at huh is that what you're saying i'm saying that there there's one person on this call that is way more excited than anybody about our first um video version of the podcast i you guys i can't even contain myself i don't even know if i'll be able to sleep but i don't i don't want to give it away yeah i don't want to give it away either just in case something falls through i would be devastated but yeah yeah so So, just real quick i looked up your zoom question Okay, here's the thing. The person that created it is currently an American. Okay? Fantastic. But whoa, whoa, whoa. But they they were born in China. <laughs> it is a Chinese American billionaire businessman. <laughs> yeah. And now he's a multi billion multi billionaire. <laughs> right. So there you go. All right, what's your favorite thing, Go? Um, so my favorite thing is more traditional. Um, one of the United movement interviews that was done, you know, they did one every day, at least one couple a day uh, over that seven day period of raising money. Um, and next week we'll talk about how much money was raised through that, uh, and kind of sum that up. But Rory McKernan did an interview with, uh, Josh Bridges, Dan Bailey and Rich Froning, the good dudes. Um, yeah. And it was some of the funniest because those three are like best friends and they dog on each other relentlessly. And they did that in this (laughs) interview. Dan, they asked what the favorite moments were from like the games. And Dan Bailey said that his was passing rich while he was walking on the, um, the obstacle course. No, no obstacle course at camp Pendleton. Oh, uh, Rich walked on the beach uh, because he okay. could not run through the sand. And Dan right. uh, and Dan thought to himself at that moment, well, I'm going to be able to kill this guy. He can't even run on the beach. <laughs> and I think that was 2011, which was Rich's first victory. Uh, so right. Rich definitely came back in the other events. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, Josh's favorite moment was beating Rich in the push pool mm-hmm. event in 14, I believe it was. 14. Yep. Uh, so it was kind of, they were, you know, both of them kind of dogged on Rich. And Rich is going, so how many championships do you have? <laughs> uh, so it was just 
it was kind of a cool back and forth and I know it's still out there. Um, they did record it and post it. Uh, so if you want to check it out, it's, it's a really fun interview to watch. Uh, so that was my favorite thing in the, on the internet. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. So I just wanted to finish it up with, um, uh, telling everybody that just remind them that they can follow us on both Facebook and Instagram. Facebook is, um, at the Clyde or is the Clydesdale CrossFitter. Uh, and, at our Instagram is at the Clydesdale CrossFitter. You can follow us on either of those um, social media places. And then now we'll have the YouTube channel uh, called the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends Podcast. Um, and I have, st- I'm still getting some requests for stickers and magnets. Uh, and I'm still working on getting that store up for our t shirt merchandise. Uh, so that's coming soon. And if you want a sticker and or magnet, uh, just DM me on Instagram, uh, sending those out free of charge to people who just want to have them in their collection. So um, I've actually sent out quite a few. I was really surprised. Um, really cool. And I, I'm happy to do that for whoever wants them. So go ahead and DM me and I'll get another couple batches out. Awesome. And with that being said, we'll see you next week on the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. Bye. Yep. Thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. We are available on all major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please, if you liked what you just heard, hit that subscribe button and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends.